So we have, sorry Andrew, we have a uh, few changes coming up here as we prepare to transition. If you've been out of the pocket for a little bit, then uh, you're in for quite a surprise because uh, next Sunday will be the last Sunday that we meet in this configuration in this building. Is that a shocker to anybody here? Does anybody not know about that? Okay, Rod, thank you. Thanks for being honest. Uh, no, but this this is the uh, next week. Next week, we'll have a U-Haul truck. You'll see it out here. The U-Haul truck will be here. And we could really use as many hands as possible to uh, be here after the service. We're going to be taking all of our equipment, all the children's ministry, taking everything, packing everything up and putting it in that rig and then hauling it to the new location. So if you're still wondering where we're going to be, uh, the, the new location is a Russian-speaking Slavic church. I asked them, what would you describe yourselves as? So they're not a Romanian church. They're, uh, they're just a, a Slavic church, so Ukrainian-Russian uh, church, and uh, they're called City on a Hill. And I don't have a specific address for you uh, right now, but if you look it up, I don't know, Courtney, maybe you could put it up there on the screen. It's uh, City on a Hill Church in Kenmore. And so we are moving to a Saturday night service and going out on the edge here. And we're excited about that. Yes. The corner of 80th and 192nd. So if you're going toward Bothell from here, then you will turn on, you're on 522 take a left at the Chevron station by Bothell Ski and Bike, and you go up about 10 blocks, and it'll be right there on your left-hand side at the three-way stop sign right next to Chuck and Bree's house. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Yeah, if you, you can park it at Chuck and Bree's for coffee, they'll be serving a continental breakfast every Sunday morning <laughs> or Saturday night. Continental breakfast. Oh. Uh, so anyway, we'll be giving you more details next week. Uh, next week, uh, we'll have some special things as we celebrate our last uh, Sunday here. God has given us great provision uh, being here in this place. And uh, though we're excited for the transition and the change, we're extremely grateful because this was uh, an amazing provision for us. And this will always be a beautiful part of our history. Andrew, anything else that I need to share on that? Okay. The other thing I want to mention to you is that coming up on Wednesday the 12th, Wednesday the 12th, so a week from this coming Wednesday, in the evening, 7 o'clock, similar to what we did when we moved into this place, we didn't just show up on Sunday morning and try and, you know, make something happen, we kind of did a dress rehearsal beforehand. So we want to invite everyone out that evening, 7 o'clock, to come out, view the new building, uh, find out how to check your kids into child care and, you know, what the configuration is going to look like, kind of get a lay of the land. So that'll be uh, Wednesday night, the 12th, Wednesday night, the 12th at 7 o'clock. Any questions on any of that so far? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so that's just the address that you can find the place. So it's just a placeholder. 
what is the name of our church? So she's, Mary was just asking, what's the new name? So we have uh, sent, put a survey out to all of you, and we've gotten back a number of different uh, ideas about who we are, our identity, and who we're called, what we're called to do, and then any name ideas that we have for the church. And we see, we definitely see some great thread, common threads coming through those things as you've been submitting names. And so we're going to distill and narrow that down this next weekend. And so as we said, we're going to be moving into this new location, transitioning to Saturday nights. And we still don't know exactly what time we're still working on that, what time we're going to be starting uh, that first Saturday night, whether that's 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And we've had a varying, you know, differing ideas of when, that, when would be the best time to do that. So we'll be establishing that here uh, later this week. So no, we don't have uh, our name yet, but you know, as we move, as anyone moves into a new home or anything like that, you get, you take time before you're ready to have guests, and uh, you take time to get the place in order. And that's what we see these next uh, couple months, November and December, uh, to be for us, where we can get in. It doesn't mean you can't invite people or anything like that, but primarily, uh, this will be a time where we um, just get get grounded in this new location, new time, and all those good things. Sound good? Yeah. Wonderful, yes. Sorry? So our first our first night out, the move date is next weekend, where we're gonna get load up all our gear and move it to the new facility. So we're yep, Sunday after church. So Sunday after our service, after our gathering We'll load up uh, all of our stuff, shrink wrap it, put it on the truck, and, uh, and then send it over there. So we haven't decided. The only thing we haven't decided is, are we going to wait, watch the Seahawks game, and then go unload the stuff? It shouldn't take us that long to do so, and so we're, we're talking about that maybe too. It sure is. That's a great question, Mom. Yep. Yep. First Saturday night. We're going to be saying Sunday for a long time. You know, you get stuff ingrained in you, and uh, it's tough to teach some of them dogs new tricks, old or young. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, we're meeting at the new location at 7 o'clock. So that'll be our, our kind of dress rehearsal. Everybody gets in, gets acquainted with the, the new building. Where do I take my kids for child care? Uh, all those fun things. Okay, give the band, it'll be our band's first opportunity to be able to, you know, use the sound system. So we'll be setting up, milling around, and we'll, we'll do some food and snacks and beverages and that kind of thing too. All right. I'm so pumped. Stepping out. Risk factor. I'm excited uh, next week is this will be, it'll just be a, a service that we'll have our time together of remembrance and of looking forward uh, to the future together. And uh, it's going to be a, a wonderful time. We'll have a different configuration and look when we come in. And I want to start off this morning 
uh, first of all, just with prayer, and then I want us to read some scriptures together. Holy Spirit, why don't you stand with me? We, uh, we disagree with you that what you have said is that everyone in your family matters. Everybody makes a difference. Everybody has opportunity to contribute. And so we just agree with you in that. Thank you for giving us a place to serve in various capacities. And so open up our hearts and our minds to your word this morning. We just surrender. We just embrace all that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Courtney, if you could put these scriptures up. Keep standing just for the reading of the word here. And uh, we're going to read through these. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of the Lord. Anybody ever lead a throng before? You got to be really careful how you say that. We who had sweet fellowship together walked in the house of God in the throng. I'm not sure what translation this is, but I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among a mighty throng. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not retain. O Lord, Thou knows. I have not hidden Thy righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of Thy faithfulness and Thy salvation. I have not concealed Thy loving kindness and Thy truth from the great congregation. So throughout these scriptures, we're just seeing this corporate context. These are all psalms that we're singing. Times of, of corporate worship together. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. And His praise in the congregation of the godly ones. And you say, how I have hated instruction. And my heart spurned reproof. And I have not listened to the voice of my teachers. Nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Wow, even in the midst of of going through a very difficult time. Here you see this pressing into the corporate of the family of the community. I will tell of thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise thee. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Is that it? All right. Thank you so much. You may be seated. As we've been talking about community and family, there is the most perfect example of community that we find. Fellowship that exists between Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. And their relationship together. This is the paramount example for us as we look for fellowship and the reasons why we come together. You see this played out as Jesus took 
that same context, that same relationship that he had, and he began to give that away to other people. And the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. You kind of see one of the, the first Christian small groups, you know, if you will. And Jesus is, is you know, functioning in relationship, and it's, it's way more. I love that, you know, Jesus didn't just get, have coffee with different guys. You know, he wasn't just getting together every once in a while, but there was a, there was a living of life with one another. And we'll look at the early church here in just a little bit as well, because we see in, in Acts 2 a little bit later. But turn with me first to John chapter 17. John 17. This is known as the, the, the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. And he's praying... And he prays for his disciples. Any disciples here? Right? Disciplined learners. Those who are following Jesus. And he's praying for their unity. And... Excuse me here. I just lost my place. Help me, Lord. Uh, let's see here. I know, Caleb. I'll get it, man. I love it. I love it. Come on, guys. That they may be one just as you and I are one. Where did I... We're not... Verse 11. Thank you. Now I'm departing the world and I'm leaving them behind and coming to you. Holy Father, keep them and care for them and those you have given me so that they will be united just as we are. So he's describing here this unity between the, the, their, that they have in the Trinity and then releasing that into the lives of his followers that they would know that. Here, Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We've hit this. A couple times as we've been in this series here. Verse 1, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the church at Ephesus. He's speaking to a community. For you have been called by God. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. Now, why would he say be humble and be gentle, be patient with each other? Why would we need to make allowance for one another's faults? He's saying, hey, get ready. With covenant comes collisions. With community, there's gonna, you know, there's gonna be some rubbing each other wrong, the wrong way, and you know, talking about that iron sharpening iron. It just happens. The closer you get to one another, those things are gonna be there. But what's on the other side of those things? Power in those relationships, depth in those relationships. So it's the privilege of being able to work things through. He says in verse four, we're all one body, we have the same spirit. We've all been called to the same glorious future. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Come on, say one. And there is only one God and Father who is over us and all, uh, us all and in us and living through us all. 
Ah, it's powerful stuff. Now, walking that out is a different story. Uh, I just started coaching basketball uh, this year at our kids' school, and we had our first tournament yesterday. And, you know, before we all huddle up and we, we talk about the game plan, and, and then we all say one, two, three, and we say as one, or we say for him, or eagles, or we're basically saying, hey, let's be of one mind, one heart, and one purpose out there on the court. Now, those words are great. It's a good start. Now, actually, that translating to a unified application on the court together is a totally different story. So we had a good, hyped-up pep talk and, you know, the whole deal. And then when we got out there, it was, looked very different than that. We fell apart. I know, uh So putting these things into practice is is a big deal. Last time we looked at John 13, Jesus told his disciples that the most powerful proof that they follow him is our love for one another. Love God, love people. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Interesting that Jesus would put those things together. Because it's easy to say, I love God, to worship, all that. But then coming time to love our neighbor or those in need can be challenging. But our love of one another is proof that we actually love God. John in his epistle, 1 John, he touches on that in depth exclusively there, goes after it. This is the love that must be worked out, demonstrated, consistent, alive. See, God, by His Word, has given us the tools for conflict resolution, for all those things, a posture of mercy and forgiveness going into a relationship, not just the crisis management on the backside. And so we have this posture going into it, and so when the world looks at us, because they they don't have those tools... Because the world, the way that the world has been trained to do things is me, myself, and I, out for number one, do what feels good, and we all know that those things break down very, very quickly. But God has given us these tools for community to walk in. How do we know that a relationship is healthy? Well, there's a healthy level of investment. Any relationship that's going to last requires investment. Is it strong enough to sustain the storms that come? John and Joanne, how many years have you been married? 52. 52 years. Any storms in those 52 years at all? Just a couple? Two or three maybe. All right. John, I loved when you shared with us, you know, uh, a while ago, just the keys for a healthy marriage. And uh, you said something to the effect of just, yes, dear. Yes, dear. Learn that one. (laughs) Learn that one really well. (laughs) Something along those lines. Uh, Acts 2, Acts chapter 2. We see the first...
first description of community. Peter gets done preaching. The Holy Spirit has come and He has unified people. Unified His people, His church. Peter gives the inaugural address of the church. And then it says that uh, verse 41, chapter 2, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church, about 3,000 men in all. They joined with all the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. Do you hear those components? Devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together constantly. Todd, you were touching on that recently. It's like, hey, you know, these guys were getting together every, every day. All the believers met together constantly, shared everything they had. They sold their possessions, shared the proceeds with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. See, they, if we wonder what Jesus was talking about and what He was modeling, we just look at what His followers did. The ones that were closest to, to them. They worshiped together at the temple, shared with one another, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Now what resulted from that? What resulted from the community? What resulted from the family of God being a powerful representation in that culture? Well, the last verse there in chapter 2, and each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. So what was the result of relationship? The adding of people. It's so attractive. It's so attractive for people to come in and say, what in the world? Husband and wife that love one another, that are sitting here holding hands, they're affectionate, they're working things through. You, you can tell they're not faking this. Kids that actually obey their dads and moms. I told you this before, I think, but you know, years ago, as I was youth pastoring at Kirkland, and you know, we we have all these evangelistic outreach programs and all that, you know, and I, I just said, you know what? We're, we're shutting all this stuff down. Just invite your friends over to your house. People that don't know the Lord, let them see you interact around the dinner table with your parents. Let them see you, you know, telling your parents that you love them and, and that you actually obey when they ask you to do something. Or better yet, you even you serve and help without even being asked. And they're sitting there scratching their heads. How is this happening? I've never seen this happen before. My dad is a great example of that. Didn't know God. Didn't, you know, didn't grow up in a Christian home. But he began spending time with my mom's family. Dating evangelism. There you go, mom. <laughs> She'd have dad over. They, they'd have dad over to the house. And he, it wasn't, you know, he and my mom just spending alone time. It was him being a part of the family. And as a result, he gave his heart to the Lord. He experienced really a father for the first time. In my grandpa. Those are powerful things, and we try and make it a lot really complicated. It's not complicated. It's the community of God, and He loves to add people 
who are alone into the community, into the family. Biblical examples of people who got in trouble when they went to the gym alone. We showed some pretty humorous uh, pictures and videos up here of people going to the gym. And uh, they're, they're working out by themselves. And they're falling apart. I mean, these guys are doing face plants. They're you know, wiping out. And, and they, can't, they can't do what they need to do. They're not able to get stronger apart from a team. And uh, we see this. I mean, one of the most powerful examples I, I've seen in this. And it's just an absolute... Um, it's caught on fire in the last few years. But CrossFit is an amazing thing because you can, people love it because they can't get away from this whole team thing. To be able to work out together and, and you can accomplish so much more when you're in a team. You'll push yourself so much more in a team context than just going to the gym by yourself. Shameless plug. There you go. CrossFit. Yep. But guys who worked out alone. Samson. Samson's a great example of a lone ranger in the scripture, proving that it doesn't work. He, you know, his parents were trying to help him and guide him in terms of forming relationships. He wouldn't have anything to do with it. He said, no, I got this. I'm going to, I got this on my own. And he decided to uh, try and do it solo. That didn't work out for him, did it? David, you know, though we can be a team player like David, King David um, was, but then we can also begin to develop in the midst of team an independent and solo mentality. Just referencing 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, Dan, or David sends everybody else, sends the team to go out to war. It says in the time when kings normally go out to war in the spring, things start to harden up a little bit more in the ground. It's not so rainy and whatnot. And so they, they headed out for war. So he sent the boys out ahead. He stays home. He's up on the, you know, the, the, uh, the deck, wakes up late in the afternoon. He's been sleeping in. He's, he's lost his disciplines. He's alone. When we're alone, we're much more susceptible to temptation. When we don't have that accountability. We asked uh, last week, I think it was, you know, do we have somebody that we can call in the middle of the night? That's an important person to have in one's life. Do you have someone you can call in the middle of the night if you have to? I think it's a great way to measure the depth of our relationships. Is there someone that can call you in the middle of the night? David needed somebody. And then when he started asking questions, hey, who's this gal after he had noticed her? You know, he, what did he need? He needed some guys around him to say, hey, whoa, 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 dude. I know you're king and all. I know you could take me out right now, but this is going to cost you your life. But what did they do? They said, oh, that's, um, that's actually Bathsheba. That's so-and-so's uh, wife. Anything you'd like me to do, sir? Yeah, I'd like you to go get her. And it was on. Examples of people who are going alone. Madison and I were out uh, hunting here not too long ago, a few weeks ago. And throughout the night, I'm stoking the fire 
trying to keep things going. Um, I was hearing a lot of noises through the night, and I was a little concerned. Um, so I was trying to keep the fire going, and some of the logs were too long, and so they were hanging outside of the fire pit. And so they would burn from the middle, and they would go out, and then different pieces would break off. You know, it was only the ones, only the pieces of the log that stayed in the inside that were coupled together with the other logs that would continue to burn. Anything that fell outside of the community of burn, if you will, smoldered and eventually died out. But there was this collective burn that happened that kept the fire going, that even the coals of those who, you know, were, were burning hot and deep in there would then reignite those that were added to the fire. See, that's how the community of God is designed to work, that as people come in, they get ignited by the fire that's already burning within the lives of people, within the lives of the family. 2 Timothy 2.22 Run from anything. 2 Timothy 2.22 Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Follow anything that makes you want to do right. Pursue faith and peace. Here we go. And enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. That is good, Natasha. It's really good. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And then chapter 3 of that same, of 2 Timothy, verse 14. Remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. One of the questions we ask, why church? Why be here? Can I just read the Scripture alone? Absolutely. Please do. I hope that everyone does not, is not dependent upon a Sunday morning or a Saturday night context in which to keep your fire burning with the Lord. That has to be the case. Otherwise, again, we're just playing church. We're just showing up. We're just attending. But what is the, what is the, the, the status of our own life with God. This is part of that, that wood that goes, the fuel that goes on the fire to help keep us burning. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. So, I solemnly urge you, verse 1 of chapter 4, before God and before Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when He appears to set up His kingdom. Preach the Word of God. This is to all of us. Preach the Word of God. This is not some super elite you know, level of Christian. Preach the Word of God. Be persistent whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct 
rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching. For the time is coming when people will no longer listen to right teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for, other teach- for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. Wow, what are we drawn to? What are we drawn to? I didn't really care for what he shared this morning. Why not? Do we wrestle with that? Rather than just put up our walls, understanding that the Word of God is there to cut us. To help us turn and course correct. To get back on the right track. They will reject truth and follow strange myths. Anything we starve will die. Anything that we starve is going to die. I'm pausing for a moment. Let Holy Spirit make application in your life. What have you stopped feeding? Talked about the Word of God being one of those things that fuels us. What have we stopped feeding? Have we stopped feeding our relationships? Have we stopped sowing to and investing in God's Word? Marriage, friendships. What we will sow, we will reap. Any relationship cannot thrive, let alone survive, if we fail to invest in it. Investing our time, our talent, our money our heart, our strategies. Money is an important part of what we invest in the relationships that we have. It's not everything, but I I would hope that, fellas, that when you take your wives out for a date, you spend money on them. All the ladies said, Amen. Yeah. Anything that's worth anything is worth investing in in every aspect of our lives. Uh, I, years ago, and when in, when youth pastoring, some of our leaders, you know, they would come to me and they they would say after they had served for you know a certain amount of time, you know, I remember this one person, you know, I think maybe over after just a couple months, you know, came and said, man, you know what? This is kind of the typical line, you know, my, the grace has really run out. Oh, really? Because I thought God's grace was sufficient, like it never stopped, but. Now, that doesn't mean we have this expectation that somebody serves on the youth leadership team till they die. But the question is, why do you feel like the grace has run out? And so we started to ask questions. So are you spending any time with any of the young people? Nope. Are you, you know, this? No, I'm not. What's your relationship with Jesus like? Oh, kind of non-existent. I can understand why the grace feels like it's run out then. But we see, without that investment, anything we starve is going to die. If we're not giving and engaging and connecting on a regular basis, that is going to feel like that it runs out. Uh, one of the things that's, you know, that we looked at the early church there in Acts 2 is the aspect of prayer. Prayer is such an important part. It's the oil that makes everything work together. And one of the things that we want to begin to do is before we gather together, we want to call everybody to prayer. 
And we're asking that everyone would, um, would really consider that. Would you pray about praying? No, of course, we see in Scripture we don't need to ask because He's already spoken in that regard. But just 15 minutes before our gatherings, and we'll keep reminding different ones, but we want to have that time of prayer together. That um, And we gather just in this context. Of course, we have only have one more. So next week uh, here, but we just gather right over here in the corner just to pray together, just to commit our time together and just focus our attention on Him. Mm, everybody said... Amen. Amen. When we come together to seek Him, we get His heart. We gain His heart. Um, We want to go where Holy Spirit's leading, but if we're not sure where He's leading, and it's not just enough for different ones to know, but corporately that we could be of that one mind, one heart. So just like we do before the game, we come, everybody come together and we say, one, two, three, go! Now, how that actually, yeah, how that actually plays out when we actually, you know, hit it is left to be seen. But that's the great thing about community. We get to practice with one another. I've had some, um, some great uh, conversations uh, recently with different ones that have been really helpful, just talking about this, um, this issue of predictability within the context of what we do. And how many would desire a greater level of unpredictability in our gatherings together? Yeah, because when, when we look at, for instance, like the Old Testament, we see this real predictability, you know, just one thing after the other. And then, you know, once in a while, there'd just be this laser light show and, the, you know, the priests are falling out and we're like, whoa, that was out of the normal, you know, out of the ordinary. And we like that. We like not necessarily knowing what to expect. And uh, so I wanted to talk about that a little bit so that we can experience more of that here in the context of our gatherings. First of all, the unpredictability is something that is produced by following Holy Spirit. You'll see that in the life of the church in the New Testament, you saw a great deal of unpredictability. That's why we like reading about in Acts and different places these amazing things that happen because it's like, whoa, I never saw that coming. That was wild. That was crazy. That was totally out of the normal. That had never happened before. And so if we are all showing up, coming together, prepared desperate to encounter the Lord, ready to give out of the overflow of our relationship with Jesus, we and everyone around us is going to be impacted. So we can be sure of one thing, that Jesus is going to be with us. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. But you know what? He also, He made us in His image. So we know that He actually shows up where He is expected, revered, loved, desired, because we're no different than that, are we? We show up in a place where we're loved and respected and honored and desired. Right? So when we show up and we're just like, we love you, Lord. We want more of you. We're so excited. Lord, here's some of our needs that we've got. Could you come? Because you're the only one that can fix this. 
She's like, I got that. Because we're dads and moms and, and we're human beings, you know, and we're created in his image. So he loves that. We love that. Our level of expectation and, and hunger is so key. We are not a leader-centric people. We're not a person-centric people. We are a God-centered people expecting Him to lead us into an encounter with Him. We can't conjure something up and make something happen, nor would we want to hype it, would we? No, we're not interested in that. But when we come and, and we just come expecting and we look to minister to Him, it is our first purpose in life to be able to minister to Him. He comes and He meets us in really special ways. Uh, check this out real quick in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul's trying to give some direction to the church at Corinth about their gatherings together. And he says, verse 26, My brothers and sisters, let's summarize what I'm saying. When you meet, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in an unknown language, while another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must be useful to all and build them up in the Lord. No more than two or three should speak in an unknown language. Okay? Daniel, can you remember that? Espanol? Okay, all right. So... They must speak one at a time and someone must be ready to interpret what they're saying. When you hear somebody, you know, come up and corporately speak in tongues, okay, somebody else will have the interpretation of that. When's the last time you heard that gift being released? Yeah, that, that's one we're afraid of. Okay, you want to check this out? Look up at verse 22 real quick. This is kind of cool. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. What? Interesting. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of the believers, not unbelievers. It goes through different things there. So, verse 29, let two or three prophesy, let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will, turn, will have a turn to speak after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember, that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can wait their turn. <laughs> Don't you love how practical Paul is? He's like, hey, chill it, man. Just kick back. Just wait your turn. For God is not a, a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the other churches. Like, this is the way it is in all the other churches. So he gives us some great things. Now, in order to have that type of an experience now, Paul had to put some borders of predictability around what it was that they were doing. Okay? Um, life in Jesus and His people, it's not in the program or the structure, but anyone can choose, make a choice in the midst of routine. Every part of life has predictability. We can't avoid that. We can't get away from it. Routine, structure, um, sports. I mean, without rules, without boundaries, without regulations, no one would even care. No one is paying top dollar these days to watch some dudes play football in the backyard. Why? Because those guys cheat a lot of times. They don't play by the rules. They don't stay in the boundaries. They don't do the things that we all know and expect. 
See, that's what we love. We love being able to go to the game and know that everyone's going to um, follow the rules and that there's guys in black and white stripe who are going to hold them accountable to the rules of the game. Okay? So we can't avoid that structure. Structure is what we value actually more than the loose and the free flow. Think about it. Free flow without the structure is chaos. And that's why Paul's putting boundaries around these different things. It it creates lawlessness. So structure makes room for the spontaneous and the unpredictable. Of course, if we didn't have structure, we wouldn't know that something was unpredictable or out of the normal. So we need both of those, that balance. Without the structure, the life of the Spirit has nothing to flow through. How many appreciate a beautiful river? Right? Well, without the boundaries of the borders of that shoreline going down both sides of it, we don't have a river. We just have a pond or a lake or something, don't we? So we love that. That's what gives it that beauty. Not only that, but what gives a river its power? Its borders. Its structure. Its boundaries. We don't look at a river and we're like, how predictable. I knew it was going to flow that way. Oh, we love that. How about a job without structure? Ah, show up when I want to. Well, the, the converse is true. We'll pay you when we feel like it. No, we like being able to know that we're going to get paid at a certain time. Don't we? If we didn't, we're going to go find something else. A marriage without structure doesn't work. That's what gives us the security in the relationship because there's those things that are helping to hold us together. Trust, it builds trust. Freedom is not the liberty to do what we want, but the liberty to do what's right. I love it. I love it. Praise God for the structure that He's given us in life. But we need to remember that the Spirit of God dictates to our structure, not our structure to the Spirit. That's really the key. That's really the key that we've got to remember. Um, The life and the unpredictability, it comes through each one of us bringing various aspects of who God is uh, in the midst of our time together. You know, like the twelfth man with the Seahawks. You know, I, I don't, I don't see anybody in the stands who are sitting there with jealousy and envy in their heart, saying, Psh, "Lynch and Wilson, they're the ones who get to do all these cool plays." No, the twelfth man understands their role, don't we? You know, to encourage and you know, lift them up when they're not doing well, and we start to cheer. That's the whole point of the twelfth man. And so understanding our role within the context of what we're doing. One person is catching, one person's throwing, and he lined it out here, you know, of, of using those gifts and utilizing, but we can't hold back on those things in terms of our, our context together. The Seahawks are unashamed about marketing to us what we should be, um, that we should be at their games. Right? They spend tons of money getting us to come out and be there, and they don't apologize for it at all. So we shouldn't have any problem with expecting and calling us to gather together as well. True story? Yeah. 
True story. I have no problem calling us to be a part of this community. Listen, when you need community and family, we're going to be here for you. The Seahawks will not. The Seahawks are never going to be there for you when you need community and family. And so this corporate dynamic of who we are as a community and family deserves investment. Amen. Amen. You matter. Everyone matters. Help somebody out. Tell them. Encourage them. Come on, turn to them right now. You matter. Thanks, man. I was starting to get worried there, but Morgan Morgan just told me that I matter too. So I'm, I'm feeling like part of the group now. Why don't you stand up? Shake your hand. Put, put your hand on somebody's shoulder. Give them a hug if you feel comfortable and close enough that way. Continue, please, to be praying for these different ones. Um, you know, jot their names down. Dan Hart and uh, Rama and different ones that, that need this prayer. Reach out to them. You know, when you're, when you're laid up at home and you don't have people around you, um, you're not able to really even have enough energy to fellowship and different things. That's, that's tough. That's really tough. And so don't forget about them just because we don't see them on a regular basis. So reach out to them, a card of encouragement, an email, anything like that. Unless you have a, a wonderful week. Next week, we'll be loading everything up. This is it. This is it. I was telling Skylar and the, you know the guys this morning as we were setting up all the equipment, I said, man, enjoy this right now. Enjoy this, dude. Coming really early in the morning. Enjoy this because it's not going to be here much longer. All right. Yeah. Good night. Good night. That'll be on the 15th. I'm used to it. I'm there already. All right. Have a great